Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I think most of you do, my name is Cassidy. I'm married to Ben, who was playing bass earlier. Um, it is my first time preaching today, so if you could please laugh at all of my jokes, that would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> and uh, we are, I'm kicking off our series about women in the Bible, and I'm a woman and hence qualified to speak to you on this topic. Thank you, Phil. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're starting our story in Judges, so if you have a Bible, um, please turn to there. Um, and we're looking at Judges 4. But actually, just prior to jumping into that, where we are in the Bible, um, these series are going to be in different places, so um, there'll be a lot of jumping around, so I'll I'll set the context for where we are. Um, The Jews, who are God's chosen people, have been brought out of Egypt, um, and they have partially taken the promised land. Uh, God commanded them to drive out all of the people, which um, they they did partially, but didn't fully. Um, And as a result, God tells them... um, because you've not been obedient, these people and these societies are going to be a thorn in your side, um, and their, God are going to, their gods are going to become a snare to you. Um, and we see this happening, so we see uh, the Jewish people uh, becoming sinful and going after these other gods, and the Bible tells us that they were in terrible distress as a result. And so God raises up judges to lead and protect these people. Um, And while the judges are alive, things go great, and they uh, redeem the people, they rescue them, uh, they turn them back to God. And when the judge dies, um, the people turn back to sin. So Deborah is one of these judges. The Bible tells us that she's a prophet, uh, so someone who hears the word of God and and a judge. So she's someone who applies the word of God and uh, judges the people. Um, And in this time, so just before Deborah, uh, the Israelites have been uh, unfaithful, and so the Bible tells us that God gave them into the hands of a king called Jabin, who is the king of Canaan, Um, and the Bible also tells us that they are cruelly oppressed by him. So um, Deborah hears the word of God, and she calls uh, a man named Barak. Um, So this is Judges 4, 6 to 7. Uh, And she tells him to bring 10,000 men uh, against this oppressive king. And she says that God will deliver uh, Caesarea, who's the general of the army, into Barak's hand um, and free Israel from the Canaanites. So um, Barak agrees. So Judges 4, 8 to 9. Um, But his obedience has caveats. So despite the fact that uh, he is a man in a society where uh, men are, they have the role of the protector, um, and it's their job to look after and lead the people, um, he basically says, I will go, but only if you come with me. So Judges 4, 6 to 7, if we can have that. He says, if you go with me, I will go, but if you do not go with me, I will not go. So there's a couple of places we see things like this happening in the Bible where God tells somebody to do something and they have a moment of doubt or a moment of questioning. And I want to just highlight two differences between, there's two different types of responses. So one response, and we see it a bit later in Gideon, um, a couple of chapters afterwards, is, uh, okay, God, you've told me to do something. I'm not sure. Can you please show me that you're in it? Uh, so Gideon has doubt and uh, he asks God, can you please show me that you're in this? And God faithfully does so in a lot of silly little ways. Um, but this is slightly different. So what Barak is not saying is, okay, I'm, I'm afraid. God, show me that you're in this. He's saying, okay, I'm afraid. And so I'm going to bring Deborah, this woman, into battle with me. 
And this is a little bit of a topsy-turvy approach. So Barak's role, as I mentioned earlier, and we see it in the New Testament in the role of marriage as well, is to be a protector. And women at this time, war has never been a particularly safe place for women. But particularly at this time, we hear a couple of stories about women being carried off as part of the spoil for war. So actually the fact that he's not turned to God, he's turned to Deborah and said, I need you to come with me. It's a little bit of a reversal of the way that we would expect things to go. So as a result, uh, God speaks to Deborah and he says through her to Barak, he is still going to accomplish his plans. So they will still, um, he will still give Caesarea into the hands of the, uh, the Israelites and they will still defeat the Canaanites. Um, but she says that as a result of what he's said and, and the approach, um, God isn't going to give the glory to him. She's actually going to give Caesarea, the general of Javan's army, into the hand of a woman instead. So I think the biggest overarching thing we can see in this story is that God is going to accomplish his plans. Whether or not we're fully in, whether or not we're taking the approach that he's asked us to, uh, God is still going to accomplish what he said he, what he set out to do. So what we see following this, uh, Deborah, as much as Barak has his caveats and his hesitations, Deborah immediately says, I will go with you. Um, but, the, but God will give the glory into the hands of a woman. And this happens. The Canaanite army is, is defeated. Uh, Caesarea flees into the tent of um, a woman named Jael. Jael. And she uh, basically drives a big wooden tent peg through his head while he's sleeping. So <laughs> a couple of <laughs> fairly, fairly cool women in this story. <laughs> and it's then followed up by um, a poem, which is, according to Google, one of the oldest parts of the Bible. Um, and this poem glorifies God and what he did in this situation. It talks about Deborah as a mother in Israel. It talks about Jael delivering uh, Israel through... Uh, driving this tent peg through this guy's head. Um, and Barak has a little short line, basically, to say he was there. <laughs> um, so what does this tell us about God? There's a couple of other parallel stories in the Bible that we can use to understand this one. We've just been talking about Daniel, um, and it's quite a strong contrast, actually, to what we see in Barak. So in Daniel, we see someone who was radically obedient, who was bold in response to God, and we see God blessing him as a result. There's another example where there's a little bit more similarities to this story. Um, two Chronicles, there is a king called Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he hears God tell um, the king of Israel through a prophet that if he goes into battle, the king of Israel will die. Um, and he, he hears this, he tells the king not to go, but the king goes anyway and he joins him. And the king basically says, I'm going to dress up as uh, just a, a soldier and you're going to dress up as king. And kind of uses him as a decoy. Um, and the Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat calls out to God and God rescues him. Uh, and the king of Israel is killed by someone drawing a bow at random. So again, God accomplishes his plans, whether or not we're willing participants. And no matter how much we try to change and adapt them. There are consequences to Jehoshaphat's lack of obedience as well. 
So um, as Jehoshaphat is protected, he's brought back safely. And as he's coming back from battle, God sends a man called, uh, a prophet called Jehu to tell him that God's wrath is upon him. So again, like Barak, we see partial obedience. He hears the word of God. He goes into battle. But then there are consequences to how he responded. So God will accomplish his plans whether or not we participate. And there are two sort of traps that we can fall into. One of them is putting too much weight on ourselves uh, and, and what we can accomplish. And the other one is not putting enough weight on ourselves and our heart attitude and how we're responding. God invites us to be a part of his plans, uh, not because he needs us, but because he wants to bless us. It's a bit like when the kids help with the chairs after the service. <laughs> and if you've, if you've done stewarding, uh, you know that we could probably do things quicker if it was just all of us adults pitching in. Um, but the kids like to try and pick up as many chairs as they can and drag them around and, and lift them up onto the big chair thing, which is behind those, those curtains there. Um, so it doesn't actually speed things up. We don't actually need them to help, but it's such a joy to see them running around um, and blessing and serving everyone without any expectation of any reward. They just want to join in. It's a bit like that when God invites us to be a part of his plans. In the story, we see God um, give the sort of fame and glory to uh, Deborah and Jael, these two women, because they were boldly obedient. And we see Barak, the man who God asked to uh, go into battle and who said he would deliver Caesarea to, given a short line in the poem afterwards to say. He was there. So these two traps. This first one, you're overestimating how important you are to God's plans. That sounds a bit harsh. You are really important to God. He loves you and he cares about you. But it's not because of anything that you can do. He doesn't need you. He just wants you. So it's not about what we can accomplish because God can do what he's going to do without you. Um, I know for me in my life, uh, I'm, one of, I'm one of four children. Uh, as far as I know, none of my three siblings are Christians. Uh, and it's something that I, I have a lot of anguish about. I think about it a lot. Um, but actually, God rescuing those, my siblings and saving them is not dependent on something that I do. And he's told me that quite clearly. Um, Maybe I have a part to play, and I'm sure God will ask me if he needs me or wants me to participate. <laughs> but actually, God is going to be the one that saves those people. Other ways that you might have felt this, uh, you might have been speaking to somebody about God uh, and, and thought, I'm not seeing them give their life. God's telling me to pray for them. God's telling me to do this, and I'm doing it, but nothing's happening. Or I'm anxious that I'm not being a good enough Christian because my job or the things that I'm doing, they're not changing the world. Or if I don't do something, everything else is going to completely fall apart and it's all dependent on me. But actually what we see in the story is God tells Barak uh, to participate, not because he needs him, 
but because it's an opportunity for him to be blessed, an opportunity for him to take part, and God accomplishes his plans. And in the same way, God asks us to be a part of his plans, not because he needs us, not because it's all hanging on something that we are going to or are not going to do, because he can do it without us, but it's just purely to bless us. This really hit home for me once when uh, I think I was about 18 maybe, and I was standing in church, and I felt God say, I want you to bring this word. Um, And I sort of said, I don't really want to. And he said, I want you to bring the word. I said, I don't want to. This went on for a little bit. And then uh, somebody else came up, and they brought the exact word, word for word, (laughs) that God had told me to bring. And uh, there were no major consequences for me. God still did what he was going to do. He still spoke to everyone the way that he wanted to. But actually, I missed out on being a part of it. And I missed out on the blessing of being able to bring God's word to other people. So the answer to this trap is our lives are simultaneously so important to our eternal fate and so important to God, but simultaneously, for most of us, pretty much inconsequential to the whole of human history. We're like wisps of smoke, is what the Bible says. So my first question to you is, are you living like this is true? Or are you placing too much importance on what you can accomplish, what you're doing, what your standing is, whether or not you're being a good enough Christian? So we'll we'll come back to that. The second trap is almost the opposite. And sometimes I think we can almost believe both things at once. And that's that you're not all in. Um, So we see Barak agrees to what God has asked him to do, but with caveats. Um, And as Christians, we often talk about living our faith through our daily lives. And this is true. It's something that we, we demonstrate faith and we demonstrate God's love through how we live every day. But we can fall into a trap of using this as an excuse not to do the bigger things, not to participate in the bigger things that God is calling us to do and that he's put on our hearts. I was, I was reading the Screw Tape Letters recently um, by C.S. Lewis, and if you haven't read them, it's a great, it's a great book. Um, but one of the things it talks about is how one of the schemes of the enemy is to make the uh, current generation concerned with not becoming the thing which it has no, uh, there's no chance of it becoming. So basically, what the, uh, a complacent generation uh, will be worried about being dogmatic, and so uh, will ignore scripture or, uh, or not go to church or not go to, not participate because they don't want to be dogmatic. And a dogmatic generation will be worried about being complacent so they never experience any of the joy or the ease of being a Christian. I think we're in quite a complacent generation. It's very easy for us as Christians to just say, I'm living my day-to-day life. I'm showing God's love through smiling at people and being nice And so I don't need to do any of the bigger things that God's calling me to do. Barak says yes, but only if. And we normally do the same. And it can be in small ways. It can be, I'll offer to pray with someone, but only if it's not weird. And it's always weird to offer to pray for someone, so you never end up praying for them. Uh, I'll give up my time or my energy to help other people, but only if it's not inconvenient or only if actually this week goes quite well and I'm not tired. Uh, Or a big one, 
um, and I think it's going to become a bigger one, is I will be bold and I will speak up in this situation that I know is wrong. But only if I'm 100% sure that God's telling me to do it and that he's not going to stop, he's going to stop anything bad happening and that he's definitely there and then he maybe needs to give me a sign on the way in. Maybe if there's something on a wall or a traffic light does a certain thing. <laughs> Even though I know that actually it's not biblical and it's wrong, God's put it on my heart that I need to say something. The Bible tells us that God promises to work out all things for his good and that we don't need to worry. And we know that this is a God, that we have a God who can uh, raise up kings and tear down nations and that he has a plan that's gone back for thousands of years. Uh, If we read the Bible, then we can see it pointing towards Jesus from well before Jesus came, right from the beginning. God's plans are so much bigger than us, and yet we so often fall into the trap of thinking, what if I don't do it? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't play my part correctly? Or also, okay, God, I know you're calling me to do this, and I know this is something I need to do, but I'm only going to do it if, or I'm not going to do it, and we step back and we miss out on the blessing of being a part of God's plans. So, These two traps, we can either be overzealous and we can be anxious, or we can be lukewarm and complacent, and sometimes we can be both things at the same time. God calls us simply to be obedient. God tells Barak very clearly through Deborah, uh, I want you to bring 10,000 men into battle at this place, and I will give the leader, the general of this army into your hand. It's simple. And the Bible tells us very clearly what we need to do. And we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to prompt us. And we know when something is wrong and when we need to speak out. But the crux of this is that God invites us to be a part of his plans and to be a part of this simply to bless us. Not because he needs us, not because the plans are going to fail without us, but because he loves to see us like the kids with the chairs, with joyful and childlike hearts, willing to be a part of something that is bigger than us. So my question for you uh, that I want to leave you with is how is God calling you to be obedient in your life? Are you anxious that you're not doing enough? Are you constantly worried about the things that you are doing and examining them to see if they are Christ-like enough or good enough and worried that God's not going to accomplish his plans and trying to keep things in your own control because actually you think it's all up to you? Or are you missing out because you don't want to join in because it's scary, because you don't know? Are you relying on feeling brave or confident or otherworldly circumstances in order to be a part of God's plans? So how is God calling you to be obedient? And I'd like to leave you with that. (laughs) Thanks, everyone.